Welcome to Sundays with Montrose Bible Church. We're glad you tuned in as Pastor Matt leads us in a study of God's Word. The church has traditionally regarded this letter as the writings of Peter. And most Bible commentaries will propose the idea that this letter is written to a single congregation, one church, one body of believers. That might very well give us an idea of why there is a difference in the style of the letters. The purpose also might do that. Um, In this letter, Peter refers to a previous letter. And we can't assume that that letter is 1 Peter. Um, We don't know the chronology of the letters, and uh, without a good date for this letter, it may even be possible that Second Peter was written prior to First Peter. We're not really sure about that. As for the purpose, uh, we will see as we work our way through the text that the letter to whom the church is written to is uh, seeming to have problems with Gnosticism, which is a common heresy in the early church. And this false teaching would lead to poor conduct on the part of the church. The letter then intends to impart understanding of the wisdom of God in order to correct that heresy. As we see today, Peter will begin his letter with truths that will stand in contrast to these false teachings that have infected the local body. In so stating these truths, we receive confirmation of the apostles' teaching that constitute the New Testament. So let's look at 2 Peter. If you have a Bible, we're looking at verses 1 to 11. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of some kind as ours, of the same kind as ours, I'm sorry, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, in order that by them we might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason, God also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, 
having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. May the reading of God's word be a blessing here this morning to all of us. So here in verse 1, we see the claim that the letter is indeed from Peter. The critics who claim that Peter may not have written this letter would state that someone else wrote in Peter's name, um, trying to lend some kind of power to the words that they were going to be expressing. Um, Peter obviously was the apostle that was kind of in charge. He was the man who was standing up at uh, Pentecost. He was the man who was the first one to do a whole bunch of different things. And so Peter's name would have lent a lot of credibility to any letter that went out to any one of the churches. So they would say that perhaps someone actually wrote this and used Peter's name. Um, I don't know if that's the case. And like I say, the, the church for a long time, has said that this is actually the writing of Peter. Um, now, this whole idea of, uh, of the letter being written to believers is important. So this letter, in the beginning, it tells us that this letter is written to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. So this letter is definitely written to a church or to a body of believers. Um, notice that Peter very quickly gives credit for the faith that they have. He owes his faith to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Peter continues with the usual type of greeting, um, followed by in verse 4. Here we see that Peter speaks of how believers can partake of the divine nature and avoiding the corruption of the world. So in verse 4, it says, For For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. It's very crucial um, to Peter's attack on the corruption of Gnosticism and other forms of heresy that were infecting the church. The idea that because of our nature, we as believers have the ability to escape this very corruption and to follow the teachings of Jesus. In verses 5 to 7, Peter is going to give us sort of a progression of our Christian life. The qualities that are listed here, um, they are the very things that make our lives useful to God. So let's look at, starting in verse 5. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge. Now, the words moral excellence might be replaced with the term virtue. Um, The only way to get to this moral excellence is to follow God's word. The motive for the virtuous life must be to bring glory to God. Because, remember, this whole thing is based on faith. 
in who Jesus was and what Jesus did for us. For the people who are seeking to lead the church astray, this idea of virtue would most definitely be an act. Remember how the church leaders were criticized by Jesus for doing things with the wrong motive. Their motive was for how they were perceived instead of having a heart and life that points to Christ. So in his own way, Peter has already started to dismiss these myths that the false teachers and preachers might be bringing forth. Notice that this moral excellence leads to knowledge. In verse 5, it says that that will result in your moral excellence, knowledge. Now, as we strive to gain moral excellence, we will need to study God's word for guidance and the study of God's word produces this knowledge. Once again, this would fly in the face of the Gnostics, who would lead us to believe that worldly knowledge and logic would lead us to some sort of enlightenment. Here, Peter reiterates the importance of God's word in our life. It allows us to see what God wants us to be, setting aside our desires for his. This knowledge then leads to self-control. So look at verse 6. And in your knowledge, self-control. Hmm. Once again, this is in direct conflict with the idea that knowledge would remove the need for self-control. The Christian believes that these characteristics come from God. The false teacher would believe that they come from knowledge only. We recognize that God works in us through his word and Holy Spirit for these changes, for these qualities to take place. This self-control, which might be seen as patience, then leads us to the next step. And we see that And in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control. Self-control. We see that self-control is um, probably better seen as patience. Um, It leads us to perseverance. And the idea that our tests and trials lead us to a better relationship with God... James speaks about in his letter. In James chapter 1, verse 3, he says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance or perseverance. So this perseverance then leads to godliness, as we read in verse 6. And in your knowledge, self-control, in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness. Here we see the idea that staying close to God or persevering in God brings us closer to him. Close enough, in fact, that we take on the representation of him in our daily lives. We start to look more like God. In verse 7, we see the final two steps 
that Peter wants us to attain. Look at verse 7 with me. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. Godliness leads us to brotherly kindness. The idea that we as a body of believers should strive to show kindness to one another should come as no surprise. But this does not just happen. Notice that we first need to get to the point where we've taken on the things that God wants us to be. We did that earlier in this process. We can now begin the step of being kind to our fellow believers, even those that we might struggle with. That is possible in a church. Our personalities sometimes get in the way. Um, Perhaps a relationship outside of church sometimes gets in the way. Something that happened in the past sometimes gets in the way. And this kindness is something that we need to make a, a step toward doing. Oftentimes it doesn't come naturally. So we can now begin to take the step of being kind to our fellow believers and those that we might struggle with. Our relationship here in this church is to be unlike anything that occurs outside of the church. Firstly, it is a kindness based on God's kindness. And secondly, it is provided by God in his plan for us. People can be kind to one another outside of this place. You might be saying, well, And what happens with all these other people who are kind? I see acts of kindness all the time. It's their motivation that differs. So their motivation um, may be to look good. It may may truly be that they think that this is going to make me a good person. But the problem is that outside of this place, people's motivation is different than ours. Okay, their heart makes even actions that are kind worthless in the eye of God. So so you can do good things, but you need to do good things because God wants you to do those good things and gives you the power and the ability to do those things. Just doing good things isn't going to be seen in God's eyes as something that he wants us to do. They still are kind gestures, yes. But they aren't motivated by the same thing. The idea of doing a kind gesture oftentimes either points to the person who does it or points to some activity, some charity, something like that, some cause. We point to God. So when someone asks why you do something that's kind, it shouldn't be because, well... I just figured it was a good thing to do. The reason we do that is because of God. And we point to God when we say that. Brotherly kindness then leads us to brotherly love. As we read in verse 7. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. This then becomes the ultimate expression of our love for God. If we love God, if we have faith, then we can attain love of our brother. 
Oddly enough, the two things that we are called to, first and second greatest commandments by Jesus, are these two things, the love of God and the love of our brother. The love of God occurs all the way back in the beginning here when we talked about having faith. The only way we can have strong faith in God is to love God. So we've taken care of the greatest commandment in the very beginning of these steps. And when we walk through this path and get to the end, we now have brotherly love, love of our neighbor, which is the second greatest command. Peter uses the word qualities instead of attributes. And it seems to imply if you're on this path, It doesn't say you have to have completed the list. But if these are some of their qualities, then you will be useful to God. And we see that in verse verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's saying that these things are what allow us to be fruitful. They're what allow us to move forward as God wants us to move forward. All of these qualities that are listed here. And the whole idea of us moving through our life is to progress from one step to the next step to the next step to the next step. Okay? But if these are not your qualities, he tells us about that also. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. So, Peter goes on to address those who are not on the same path as us. Um, They're short-sighted. They have no memory of their confession of faith that could purify them, calling into question the condition of their heart at this point. Now, Peter wraps this whole thing up in verses 10 and 11. So look at 10 and 11. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. So, he's asking his believers in this church that he's writing to, to be diligent or eager. Not to be complacent. Complacent means we get to this point where we just come out of duty. I'm here because it's Sunday. I've always come on Sunday. My mom and dad took me to church on Sunday, and so now I'm here. Complacency allows the false teacher to gain your ear and persuade you to follow them instead of God. Because when you come compla- become complacent, you don't move through these steps that Peter's laying out here. You kind of hang out. You might hang out at one place and never get beyond that. And when you do that, all of a sudden you allow other things to creep in. So, for example, if you never get to the point where you have knowledge, now when someone speaks to you as if they have authority to speak to you, you take those things 
and you digest them and you apply them to your life and you apply them improperly. Because they're not God's word, they're this other person's twisted version of God's word, the person who's trying to lead the church astray. And you might say, why would someone want to do that? Why do we have to be warned about people? Can't they just start their own church that does something completely different? How many people are here this morning? If I want to mislead and have a following instantly, this is where I would do it. It's hard for me to go down on the street corner and just start yelling and have this many people in front of me. They'd all think I'm crazy, right? So they would, they would they'd, they'd walk past, they'd get on their phone, they might take a picture of me and say, who's this crazy person? They'd, I'd be all over the, you know, all of the social media out there would be postings of me being crazy out there. So this, these people, the Gnostics and the other false teachers and preachers, they want to come into an assembly that's already established, and they want to sway it to them. And they do that very slowly and very methodically, and the people who are really good at it end up with a huge following. You've all seen cults in your lifetime. You've seen people who are willing to die for a man who told them something because he's slowly but surely twisted something that probably sounded good in the beginning and turned into something that it wasn't. So that's what this warning is all about. He says, don't become complacent. Don't let the false teachers take your ear. Make sure that you are moving through these qualities. Make sure that you are studying. Make sure that you are applying all these things to your life. Peter ends by saying in this way that this path leads to entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior. This is the way to God. Look with me in verse 11. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. So I don't know about you folks, but I think it's really important that we don't become complacent. Go home and look at what we've just talked about. Don't just sit there and say, ooh, that's a good idea. God wants you to be knowledgeable about what's in his word. And while this might spark your interest in something, it's certainly not the end to your knowledge. You are responsible for knowing what's in the word. You're not responsible for saying, well, Jim said this. We want to get to the point where we can say those two commandments are what we're striving to meet in our life. We need to love God with all we have. And when we do that, we're going to walk through all of these qualities on our path as we get closer and closer to God. We are going to gain perseverance. We are going to gain self-control. We are going to gain knowledge because we're studying. We are going to become more like him. We will become more godly. People will see that. Oftentimes, I think about someone saying, oh, you know, this is how Jim is. And I'm like, well, I don't see that in me, but other people see it in me. 
And all of you are the same way. So many of you, as you're trying to work your way through these qualities, you don't see the same thing that the people around you see. How many times has somebody said to you, oh, you're really patient, you should be able to do this, or something like that, and you go, me, patient? I don't think so. But people see these qualities in you, and as they see those qualities in you and they see you progress, that feeds into the body of believers around you and it becomes contagious. The first century church grew in great numbers, very quickly, relatively speaking, because all of these qualities were exhibited in the apostles. So when you look at the apostles, you see that they were able to teach. They were able to do all of these things that people would look at and say, well, that's, that's the Christian I want to be. So we need to do that for each other. We need to model all of the things that are listed here. This church needs to become a unit, a body of believers with one goal in mind, and that is to exalt God. And all of these things lead us there. So if you want to take a list and put it on your refrigerator and say, I'm going to check this off when my spouse or my father or my, my mother tells me I got into that step. Because we need to recognize that growth. So if you see that in people, tell them. Bring them along. It's awesome. I'm so glad that you're studying the Bible on your own. You know, I, I want you to keep working through that Bible so you get to the point where you have this knowledge base that leads you to saying, so what does God want me to do? And then when I find out what God wants me to do, I, I need to have guidance and encouragement so that when tough times come, I have perseverance. I have to understand why I'm suffering trials. Because God wants me to grow. All of those things we need to help each other with. And that is why he's written this church because he wants them to work on those things and not allow the things of the Gnostics, the things of the false teachers to get into the body of believers and dirty it. And so we need to be, we're in the same situation. There's a world around us. Okay? And we need to be on the watch for someone misleading us, guiding us the wrong way. Amen? All right, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just are, are so encouraged that Peter gives us a, a plan, that Peter gives us this, this walk that we, can, that we can take, and Lord, that we can recognize our progress simply by looking at the qualities that we gain, and Lord, that we can encourage our fellow believers when we see them making those steps in faith. And Lord, I just pray that each one of us starts this whole process off with that loving faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Lord, we, we go nowhere without that. We go nowhere without all of the things that we want to accomplish being the things that you want us to accomplish. And so, Lord, I pray that each one of us will survey our life, look for our purpose, Lord, and step out in confidence knowing that you will be there with us 
Lord, that, uh, that we might come to exalt you, not only individually, but, Lord, as a church. So I pray for the church. I pray for the opportunity that I've had to speak today, Lord. I just pray that your words were my words, Lord, that this was a message that we needed to hear. And ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you were challenged by the word of the Lord and invite you to join us again if you'd like to learn more about our ministry in Montrose or want to connect with Pastor Matt. Come worship with us at 930 every Sunday along Lake Avenue 